This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. This morning's words of integration and guidance are by Bruce Epperly. Resurrection doesn't come easy for many of us. Frankly, many of us find it difficult to celebrate life these days. Holy Saturday, the time of uncertainty and waiting, the experience of provisionality and suspense, seems a far more realistic assessment of the human and cosmic condition. Even devout Christians reflecting on Easter struggle for a realistic and life-transforming message to affirm. Jesus' resurrection changed everything, yet the world remained the same. Resurrection does not deny the tragedies and injustices of life, but places them in a larger and more hopeful context. In the spirit of the prophet Jeremiah, resurrection gives us a future and a hope. We live in a wondrous universe, filled with wonders beyond our wildest imaginations. Resurrection is not, it seems to me, a violation of the cause and effect laws of nature, but a revelation of the deeper energies, energetic realities of life. I think Jesus' resurrection comes from this deep down place in which divine and human energy intersect to create a synergetic burst of transformative energy. Resurrection is not restricted to Christians, but embodies God's living, transforming, and energizing movements in all of life. Resurrection is God's pathway of rebirth and renewal, most dramatically reflected in Jesus' life, but residing in all things. Today, we are called to be resurrection partners, to roll away the stones which imprison marginalized people and to open pathways to the future for all creation. Our scripture reading this morning is from the 31st chapter of Jeremiah, verses 1 through 6. At that time, says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Again, I will build you, and you shall be built, O Israel. Again, you shall take your tambourines and go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant, and they shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when sentinels will call in the hill country of Ephraim, Come, let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to John 20, 1-18. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, 
the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Then Peter and the other disciples set out and went toward the tomb. The two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent down to look in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their own homes. But Mary stood outside the tomb. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will come and take him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Hebrew, Rabbani, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not hold on to me. Am I not yet ascended to the Father? But go to my brothers and sisters and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. For the word of God in Scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. A show of force. A show of force. That's what our national leadership called our recent dropping of 60 bombs on Syria and the largest non-nuclear bomb ever deployed, which was dropped on Afghanistan this past week. A show of force is what empires do to exert their authority. A show of force is what Rome did to rebels and insurgents. A show of force is what nailed Jesus to the cross. And in the aftermath of this brutality, our chapter opens early on the first day of the week while it was still dark. The picture remains bleak even in this new day, even in this new week. Easter morning begins in the shadows of the powers that be.
And just as it was women who stood by Jesus in his final hours, it is here again a woman who comes to the tomb. Mary Magdalene. She's so startled by what she sees that she runs to go tell the other disciples. And they run and check it out and then return home. But all that running gives us a sense of the franticness of this morning. So they return home, Peter and this disciple, this other disciple. But verse 11 tells us that Mary remains. She remains at the tomb, weeping, shaken, for the love that had been among them a while had been taken from them in a brutal show of force. This love which had nearly blinded them now causes her eyes to burst with tears. This love which had healed them now causes a great pain in its absence. This love which had embraced the most rejected and broken among them leaves her heartbroken in its wake. Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Then verse 11 tells us, as she wept, she bent over to look in. And her vision, clouded by tears, or perhaps made clearer by them, sees two angelic figures in white. The men did not see these figures, but neither do we read that they were weeping. Perhaps such visitations are reserved for those deepest in sorrow. The tears themselves, perhaps the lenses needed to refract and catch a glimpse of heaven. These angelic visitors say to her, Woman, why are you weeping? They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. It's an echo of her earlier statement. Though before she said, They have taken the Lord, and we do not know where they have taken him. Now she says, They've taken my Lord, and I do not know. Her search is becoming personal. And yet halfway through, Our text here in John, Mary remains in the dark. And we're given no further word or response from these angels. And then verse 14 says, After she had said this, she turned around. She turned around. And the phrase turned around used here shows up elsewhere in John's gospel to mean those who turn away from Jesus those who turn away from faith, those who can no longer follow. It's just too difficult. It's just too impossible. So Mary has hit rock bottom. She's ready to call off the search. She's ready to accept defeat. And yet it's in this moment of utter defeat of giving up, of quitting. It's this moment that leads to discovery. And so as she turns away in defeat, she sees a man standing there, but it still doesn't register. The light has not yet dawned. 
This man repeats the question of the angels. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And as Mary weeps, we also might weep. Her Lord had been killed and now was missing. As my friend Jorge put it, his bones were broken. His flesh torn, blood shed. He literally suffocated as water filled, as water from his body filled his lungs. All because he opposed those in power who kept establishing laws, policies, and beliefs that marginalized those with darker skin. Those who had different abilities. Women. Sexual minorities those without citizenship, those of a different ethnicity, and he lived his life to oppose that system. This gruesome murder, Jorge writes, approved by the state of Jesus' time, was carried out because he who questioned power and fought for justice had to be silenced. Mary is weeping because this man who had lived such an astonishing life of love among them, this man had been killed and now to add insult to injury, she couldn't even find his body to give a proper burial and mourn in the proper way. In Mary's weeping, we hear the weeping of every mother who has buried a child because of disease and perhaps also a lack of proper care because of violence and war. We hear in her weeping the weeping of families torn apart and killed as we drop bomb after bomb on Afghanistan and Syria, Iraq and Yemen. We hear in her tears the cries of black mothers as every 28 hours police murder a black body without any consequence for the killer. We hear in her weeping our own grief at loss of friends and loved ones our own grief over injustice and oppression. In Mary's weeping, we hear the weeping of a world in mourning. Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And very deliberately, The text tells us that she supposes him to be the gardener. And if she supposes him to be the gardener, the Gospel of John is telling us that all this is taking place in a garden. The only Gospel which gives us this contextual reference. In the Bible, of course, a garden is a significant place. A place of intimacy, but also a place of betrayal. Indeed, the biblical story begins in a garden. God walking with humanity. And then God searching for a humanity which is turned aside and in hiding. The garden is also where Jesus struggles in prayer only days before and where he is then betrayed by a kiss and arrested. Intimacy and betrayal, struggle, and newness in a garden. The story of Scripture opens in Genesis 1 in sacred time. There was evening and there was morning the first day. 
seven days that culminate in a garden. And here we have another sacred time, the first day of a new week. Our chapter begins. And after seven days, we consider the next day to be day one of a new week, but we could also consider it to be an eighth day, a new era, a new garden. John is telling us that something new is afoot. A new day is dawning, and this new day also begins in a garden, though this time it doesn't begin with a man, but with a woman. It begins not with the proclamation, let there be light, but it begins in darkness and in tears. Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've lain him. I will come and take him. We can hear her desperation, her exasperation. And with a simple word, Jesus opens her eyes and her heart. Mary. Mary. And when he says this, the text tells us that once again she turns. But remember, she's already turned and having this conversation, so presumably she's already facing Jesus. And yet it says she turns. And so the second turn represents an inward turn, a turn of the heart. Could it be the one who captured them with a generous spirit and smile? Could it be the one whose stories delighted and confounded? The one who shared his bread with the poorest among them? The one who taught of a new economy based on trust of God and neighbor? The one who refuted the religious establishment? And defied political leadership. Could it really be this one who was last seen forgiving those who were brutalizing, torturing him, and putting him to death? As he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Could it be? Yes, it is. At last, Mary realizes that the light is shining on this new day, that hate cannot have the last word, that love has risen. And she says to him, Rabbanai, or teacher, an acknowledgement that at last she understands that she is open to being taught anew. And Jesus replies, Do not hold on to me. Am I as yet not ascended? which we could take to mean, have I not in some way already ascended? In other words, this new mode of existence is not going to be the former presence I had among you. This is the kind of presence that it can appear in visions, such as to Paul on the road to Damascus or among the disciples on the road to Emmaus, a presence that can arise suddenly and unexpectedly where two or three are gathered. Yes, it is me, Mary, but do not hold on to me. It is tempting, after all, on Easter to hold on to Jesus. It's tempting to fixate on specific details of how a person who was killed could suddenly be alive. It's tempting to get into the weeds of the laws of nature and arguments about how this proves one thing or another. 
Yet these modern questions, it seems to me, are not really the point of John's gospel nor of the earliest Christian faith. German theologian and peace activist Dorothy Sewellis says, if my hands are occupied in holding on to something, I can neither give nor receive. I was with you for a while, Mary, but do not hold on to me. The resurrection is about the vindication of Jesus, God's yes to his life and work. And the new presence of Jesus can now be found where? Among all who continue his work of love and liberation. Go to my brothers and sisters and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to, your, to my God and to your God. If we want to find Jesus, let us look among those gathered in his name and carrying on his teachings. And Mary Magdalene went and announced these things to the disciples. And she, a woman, becomes the first apostle, the first preacher of the resurrected Christ. I have seen the Lord. A woman out of darkness amidst tears turns to joy as she experiences the light. And yet this is not a triumphalistic joy. It is a joy amidst continued tears and struggle. And my friend Jorge again captures it eloquently. He says, if on Easter morning we simply run in search of eggs, we will be too distracted to stop for a moment and realize how revolutionary the resurrection was. Its impact was not that an individual defied death, left a tomb empty, and appeared to disciples. Its impact is that the state tried to torture and murder an individual who had continuously denounced their injustice, who stood alongside those the state tried to oppress, and even the greatest form of punishment could not keep down this prophetic call to justice. Instead of Resurrection Sunday, Easter should be called Revolution Sunday because in coming back to life, Jesus posed the greatest threat to power and authority that has ever occurred in history, all for the sake of the poor, the marginalized, and the oppressed. If Easter is about anything, it's about letting this radical love into our own hearts. This radical love that's willing to put everything on the line for the least and the most disenfranchised among us about a true show of force, a force of love. It's about refusing to let the powers that be determine the course of our lives. And in a poem that's perhaps familiar to a number of us, we're considered, invited to consider how to invite this Easter newness to infiltrate our lives. A poem written over 40 years ago, perhaps it's familiar to you, written by Wendell Berry. He says, Love the quick prophet, the annual raise, 
vacation with pay. Want more of everything ready-made. Be afraid to know your neighbors and to die, and you will have a window in your head. Not even your future will be a mystery. Your mind will be punched in a card and shut away in a little drawer. When they want you to buy something, they will call you. When they want you to die for profit, they will let you know. So friends, every day, do something that won't compute. Love the Lord. Love the world. Work for nothing. Take all that you have and be poor. Love someone who does not deserve it. Denounce the government and embrace the flag. Hope to live in that free republic for which it stands. Give your approval to all you cannot understand. Praise ignorance for what man has not encountered, he has not yet destroyed. Ask the questions that have no answers. Invest in the millennium, plant sequoias. Say that your main crop is the forest that you did not plant and that you will not live to harvest. Say that the leaves are harvested when they have rotted into the mold. Call that profit. Prophesy such returns. Put your faith in the two inches of hummus that will build under the trees every thousand years. Listen to carry on. Put your ears close and hear the faint chattering of the songs that are to come. Expect the end of the world. Laugh. Laughter is immeasurable. Be joyful, though you have considered all the facts. Please women more than men. Go with your love to the fields. Lie down in the shade. Rest your head in her lap. Swear allegiance to what is nighest your thoughts. And as soon as the generals and the politicos can predict the motions of your mind, lose it. Leave it as a sign to mark the false trail the way you didn't go. Be like the fox who makes more tracks than necessary, some in the wrong direction. Practice resurrection. So friends, on Easter Sunday, even as we continue to hear weeping and perhaps shed our own tears, let us practice resurrection and rejoice for love always rises. Amen. And namaste. The offertory is in Spanish, but uh, we didn't have a chance to put it in the bulletin. But uh, just the second verse I will just want to give to you. It says, uh, And when the night extends its veil, my eyes in the weeping turn to you. Lifting up my eyes, I see the stars. And I know that behind them, oh loving God, you are watching over me.
Thank you, David and the Jill for music today. And now, friends, as we go into this Easter day, may you know the one whose extravagant love for all was so powerful that death could not hold it back. May you know that love this day and every day. And as you go, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. 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 Go in peace. to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Holland Area Arts Council in downtown Holland. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org. Mm-hmm.